We're starting a new series today called Battleground Nativity. Uh, we'll be doing this for uh, seven weeks. Um, a few months ago, I was putting my kids to bed, and uh, they, at that time, were seven and nine. Uh, my daughter's had her birthday since then, so she's ten. My son is seven. And I was going through the checklist of things that you do as a parent, putting your kids to bed, just have you uh, cleaned your room yet? Yes, Daddy. Uh, have you uh, put your laundry away yet? Yes, Daddy. Put your pajamas on? Yes, Daddy. Uh, have you brushed your teeth? My son, little seven-year-old Cohen, uh, looks at me for a second and he goes, yes, Daddy. And I knew I had him. I knew I had him. He was a liar, and I knew it. And, and so I, I did what only parents in the room will understand. I put my nose inside his mouth, and I just smelled his mouth. I smelled his mouth for evidence. And sure enough, it smelled like cookies and milk, and I knew he was not being forthcoming with me. And so I, I said to him, I said, you little liar, which is how I talk to my children because I need help. But I said, you little liar. You, know, you want to know what he said to me? He said, I'm not little. <laughs> That's it. That's all he said. He said, I'm not little. He said, I may be a liar, but I'm not little. You know, that was more important to him uh, to point out to me. So uh, we're going to talk about what it means to tell the truth in this uh, spiritual battle that we are in. So um, welcome again. Welcome to y'all uh, joining us online as well. Thank y'all for being here. So Christmas is around the corner, the most... Uh, a uh, wonderful time of year, we're told, the fuzziest and warmest and sweetest time of year, full of parties and presents and shopping and goodies and all this stuff. And, and so we're naturally at the story going to talk about spiritual warfare for seven weeks, um, which isn't typical of the church, uh, you know, uh, lexicon uh, during uh, Christmas season. But we're not doing this to be sensational. We're doing this to treat Christmas the same way the Bible treats Christmas, which is not having anything to do with presents and parties and shopping and goodies and food and everything. Nothing wrong with all that stuff. Do all that stuff. Just realize when the Bible deals with the stories of Christmas, it's not really talking about that pleasant, fun stuff, warm, fuzzy stuff. It's really talking about the escalation of a war, the escalation of a spiritual battle between God and Satan. That's the story of Christmas. Tell that to your children instead of the 12 nights or whatever you've been telling them. Like, it's the, it, it is light versus darkness, good versus evil. It's just this cataclysmic, cosmic collision that happened at the incarnation of Christ. And so this Battlefield uh, Nativity series is all about the battle that ensued or escalated between God and Satan. Now, today we're going to focus on what it means to tell the truth as a spiritual weapon, truth-telling as a spiritual weapon in that spiritual battle of which we all are a part, God versus Satan. Now, we talk a ton about God. We don't talk as much about Satan in most churches. Some of y'all grew up in churches that only talked about Satan, and uh, you ran away from those churches. So now you're like, wait a minute, what's happening? Um, but the majority of you probably didn't grow up in church or grew up in churches where talk a lot about God, but not many people really believed in or talked about Satan. So I understand what, what we're dealing with here. But I, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the fact that the Bible mentions Satan by name or by calling him the devil or Lucifer over 150 times. Over 150 mentions of Satan. Jesus said several things about Satan that cannot be ignored, like in John chapter 8 when Jesus said, there is no truth in Satan. 
When he, when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. That's Jesus' words about Satan. So he clearly believed in Satan. He had personal encounters with this Lord of darkness, but we never talk about him. Why? I think it's because when we think about Satan, the first thing that comes to mind are jokes. I think we think about all the funny stuff we've seen with Satan in it. Like, if you're old like me, Dana Carvey and the church lady, Saturday Night Live, could it be Satan? You know, that kind of thing, and that's what comes to mind. Or, or, you know, you think of cartoons you've seen, South Park, or you think of church signs like the one that just blew my mind. This was my favorite thing ever last year when either the church secretary, it was like her last day, and she just dropped a bomb on her way out. Uh, like the Twitter employee in Trump's Twitter account, you know, or, or, or there was just this awful mistake or, uh, you know, an atheist walked by and just wanted to have some fun with the Christians or something. But breakfast with Satan was probably not what the church had in mind in terms of advertising um, that day. But children, there is only one letter between Satan and Santa. Keep that in mind. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm joking. Some of y'all are having flashbacks. I'm just joking. I'm just saying when we think of Satan, jokes are what come to mind, or, or like the fact that we, uh, Halloween costumes, Halloween just happened, top three adult Halloween costumes. Number one, guess, you want to guess? Donald, Donald Trump. Donald Trump, number one, this year. Number, number two, Satan. Number three, sexy nurse. Donald Trump, <laughs> Satan, sexy nurse. I want to ask you a very real question. I want you to be honest with me. We're talking about being honest today. If, if Donald Trump, Satan, and sexy nurse all walked in, Right now, not dressed up, but in the real thing. Donald Trump, Satan, and sexy nurse walked in. Which one would scare you the most? Don't answer. No, no, no. Don't answer. Don't. No. No. We're trying to maintain unity in this place. Some of y'all were like, I know. All right. So anyway, some of y'all are like, definitely the nurse. Definitely the nurse. So I think for most of us, Satan is boiled down to a joke. And I understand why. Because we want to be rational, intellectual people who don't believe in silly things like Satan and the levels of hell and the demons and the devils. Like that was the, that was the dark ages. We don't believe that stuff anymore. All of our problems are just psychiatry and self-help and, you know, uh, it can be medicated. And it, that, that's all it is now. It's, it's not demon possession or anything like that. I understand that mentality because I've been there. I've been a skeptic. I'm still a cynic to some degree. And I still don't want to believe some of the stuff that I'm going to tell you today. But it is unavoidable that Satan was no joke to Jesus. And so we have to make a decision about whether we're going to choose to believe that we know more about Satan than Jesus did. That we're smarter than him. That because of the advancements in our society or our, the enlightenment or education that we've enjoyed, that we are more enlightened, more educated, more in the know about the spiritual darkness of this world than Jesus was. If we choose to believe in God but not Satan, heaven but not hell, we have to basically contend with the statements that Jesus himself made. Now, we, this is, makes me very uncomfortable. I'm sure it does y'all too, but we've got to talk this through because it's setting the stage for the rest of our series. We, we talk a lot about accepting Jesus as the Lord of your life, and I think that's very important that you accept Jesus as your Savior or whatever language you want to put around that, but we don't talk as much about accepting Satan as your enemy, and I think that's almost as important a conversation to have today, that we accept Satan as our enemy too. Because if we do not do that, then someone else or something else has to fill the void in that enemy slot 
in our hearts, in our lives. If it's not Satan, it's going to be some group of people that we just don't like. There's going to be some person or some cause or some political party or something that we don't like. We're going to say that's our enemy. But when you acknowledge your true enemy as your enemy, everything else, I believe everything else in your world will begin to make sense. Because listen, this world is madness. I mean, I don't get many amens at the story, and I'm not expecting any. But like, when I say this world is chaos, would you agree? All right, so I wake up every morning checking the headlines, and truly, truly, I... First thing, grab my phone to see what in the world happened while I was sleeping. And nothing would surprise me. Nothing. No headline. I would go, wow, that happened. No. Any headline. Anything I can think of. Yep, that sounds about right. You know, like that's the world we live in now. All the madness, crazy chaos. It's all normal now because we're so used to dealing with all this madness and crazy chaos. All the evil in the world like what happened last week in Sutherland Springs. Look, that was seven days ago. Nobody's even talking about it anymore. Not even a headline because we're so used to the evil things we see and witness every day. But we act like there's evil, but there's not a reason for it. There's evil, but it's that political party's fault or it's that NRA's fault or it's this person's fault or whatever. No, we're acting like we're, we know a war exists, but we don't see the cause of it or we don't know the enemy of it, all the lies we believe, all the misinformation we believe, it's just misdirection by our enemy. He has us right where he wants us. You see, I think, well, I, I know, I believe God has a plan for your life, and it's a wonderful plan. It's a plan full of joy and peace and love. But listen, listen, please, not to be a damper on your beautiful Sunday morning, but listen, God is not the only one who has a plan for your life. I have to tell you this because I love you. God is not the only one who has a plan for your life. Your enemy has a plan for your life as well. And as loving and full of light and joy as God's plan is for your life and your family's life, your enemy's plan is just as dark and hateful and heinous. He wants to see us divided and distracted and destroyed with hate. He wants to divide, distract, and destroy us from within, do you see this happening all around us all the time? Can you perceive it? It's not coincidence. It's not just the media. There is a spiritual force happening to pull us apart from each other, to cause us to hate each other, and to blind us to the fact that we all share one common enemy who has a plan for our lives, for us to be anxious and afraid in darkness. Every week in this series, we're going to tackle a different part of the Christmas narrative and talk about how it ties into this spiritual battle, this escalation of war that we see at Christmas. Today, we're going to talk about John the Baptist. From Matthew chapter 3, you have a Bible, um, and you read from your own Bible, you get uh, extra, uh, we don't give anything. I'm just kidding. So you don't get anything. But uh, I'll like you a little bit more today than everybody else. So you can read out of your own Bible or a Bible app or on the screen or on your study guide. We've got plenty of ways for you to, to read this. From Matthew chapter 3, I'll read it. Uh, Y'all can follow along. Matthew 3, we're going to read verses 1 through 12. Is that right? 1 through 12? Yeah, Matthew 3, 1 through 12. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. 
a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptizing, baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees, these were the men of power, coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Dang. <laughs> John had that one loaded up and ready to go. And those Pharisees showed up, man. He was ready to unload on them. And he did. Because John was a prophet. John stood in a long line of Old Testament prophets. Um, and he was in the New Testament, but obviously he stood on the shoulders of Old Testament prophets like Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and others from the Old Testament. And he was intense about what he shared. He was intense about his message. Now, this is what I drive me crazy about John and other guys like him in the Bible. Jesus, too, frankly, is that in our art and our ways of talking about him, we totally sanitize John the Baptist. We make him into a caricature. Even in Renaissance art, like the one you see now, you can barely see it. Sorry, it's kind of dim. But, but we, kind of, um, we, we kind of dress him up differently. We kind of give him a different, like, airy look and, and just a, a little bit soft around the edges. Tell me if the guy you see on the screen right now looks anything like a guy who would say to the most powerful people in his life, you brood of vipers. You think that guy would ever say, you brood of vipers? Who warned you to flee the coming wrath? That guy doesn't say stuff like that. John the Baptist was a wild man. He was uncontainable by the powers that be. He was uncontainable. He was a threat. He wore camel hair clothing and a leather belt around his waist before leather belts were cool. Like it was weird back then, you know what I'm saying? And, and he, he uh, ate, you know, dipped locusts in honey like it's, you know, chips and salsa at Chewy's or something. And like weirded people out. Preaching fire and brimstone. Telling the truth. When we talk about prophets in the Old Testament and New, prophetic people told the truth. It wasn't about forecasting the future. It wasn't about prediction. Prediction is a very small part, very small part of biblical prophecy. Biblical prophecy is about telling the truth when it's inconvenient to do so. And so John and the other prophets told the truth. When they saw evil, they called it out. When they saw evil men, they called them out for perpetrating evil in the world. So that was John the Baptist, and he was intense and angry. So you may wonder why these prophets, why John, why Jesus was so intense and so angry, turning over tables in the temple and screaming at people and calling them names. Why? I think it's because John knew something that the rest of us have forgotten. I think it's because John knew that we are engaged in a war. In a war against a vicious enemy and that real lives are on the line every day. And I know we in the church talk about how Jesus 
won the war for us. Jesus has already defeated Satan and death and sin, and that's true. But you know, in every major war, there's that period after the war has been declared over that there's this aftermath of, of skirmishes and battles that break out and lives are still on the line. That's the, that's the era we are living in today. There is still very much something on the line, lives on the line. Now, the problem for us isn't that we don't see the conflict. We just don't know our enemy. <clears throat> we see signs like corruption in Washington, and we think politicians are the enemy. Or we see things like shootings in churches and concerts, and we think the NRA or whoever else is the enemy. Or, or we see, uh, you know, terrorism. We think terrorists are the enemy. We hear stories of sexual harassment, sexual abuse, and we think, you know, men are the enemy. I, I, I was at a meeting uh, this week where it was mostly a Christian meeting, and the general consensus by the end of the meeting among the people there were that because straight white men perpetrate most of the awful headlines that we see on the news lately, I guess, that straight white men are the enemy. We're the problem. And I'm over there in the corner like, oh, boy, okay, I need to find a way out of this room, you know. Like, but I guess I got a taste for how other people have been made to feel over the years, sometimes by people like me. So I, I kind of understand that. I understand that it comes from a place of pain when we blame a whole group of people. For the pain that we're in, when we blame, you know, straight white men, or we blame women, or we blame, you know, politicians, or ISIS, or liberals, or Black Lives Matter, or the NRA, or Republicans. Listen, I understand where all of that comes from. When we're hurting, we want someone to blame. But let me tell you something. When we demonize each other, every time we demonize each other, we let the real demons off the hook. Every time we turn our focus and attention toward each other and point the finger of blame at each other, we let our real enemy go scot-free. Now, I'm not saying that people shouldn't be held accountable for their actions. They totally, we totally should be held accountable for our actions. But it's very important for us to realize we are engaged in something much bigger. A spiritual battle that rings through not just this life but eternity. So, white men, not the enemy. ISIS, Black Lives Matter, Republicans, liberals, not the enemy. We share a common enemy who has a plan to divide, distract, and destroy us. So, what this means is our knee-jerk reactions sometimes aren't the ones we should listen to. Sometimes we hear about a new tax code or something else favoring the super wealthy elites and we think rich guys are the problem. No, mm -mm. the love of money, the love of money, the demonic love of money, that's your problem. Sexual harassment, sexual abuse, uh, sexual assault and rape, uh, the predators are not the enemy. It's the worship of power, the worship of sex that has led someone to perpetuate such crimes. That's where you begin to find the true enemy. And I wish I could have articulated what I wanted to say today in as elegant a way as N.T. Wright does. But he's such a brilliant person, and I wish I was him. And I know the Bible says not to covet, but I do. And I just gonna, I'm going to share his words with you. This is probably the longest quote I've ever shared in a sermon. But I've got to have this sink in to your souls today, because this is the bedrock of the rest of our, of our uh, sermon series. So here it goes. And he writes, says, those who worship money 
increasingly define themselves in terms of it and increasingly treat other people as creditors, debtors, partners, or customers rather than human beings. Those who worship sex define themselves in terms of it, their preferences, practices, and past, and increasingly treat other people as actual or potential sex objects. Those who worship power define themselves in terms of it and treat other people as collaborators, competitors, or pawns. Though these and many other forms of idolatry combine in a thousand ways, all of them damaging to the image-bearing, he means the, the God image, the divine image with which we were created, the image-bearing quality of the people concerned and of those whose lives they touch. And then he says, this is what's at stake. What's at stake here is not just the moment or that one person's life, what's at stake here is nothing short of eternity. What's at stake is nothing short of what we might call hell. I know there's a lot of people here who struggle with the concept of hell. You want to believe in God but not Satan, heaven but not hell. Listen, it's not what you think it is. It's not what you've been taught to believe Christians think about hell. This, this is how it happens. This is how it works. He says, it is possible, therefore, for human beings so to continue down this road, so to refuse all whispering of good news, all glimmers of true light, all prompting to turn and go the other way, all signposts to the love of God, that after death they become at last, by their own effective choice, beings that once were human but now are not, creatures that have ceased to bear the divine image at all. This is hell. This sounds exactly like our enemy works. This is the reason John the Baptist and the prophets and Jesus were so intense and so angry when they see evil working on us in this way to deceive us and to cause us to deceive ourselves because this battle of light and darkness claims casualty every day. Here's the good news of this story, is that God does not leave us defenseless in the battle. God has equipped you, whether you know it or not, by his spirit to fight in this battle. He's given you everything you need to defend yourself against the attacks of this enemy of ours and to fight for your freedom. Ephesians 6 says God equips people, believers, with a spiritual arsenal we call the full armor of God. And let me tell you, I haven't heard a lesson in church on the full armor of God since I was 12 years old in vacation Bible school. Because we teach it to our kids, and we don't teach it to our adults. We teach it in Sunday school, in children's church, in vacation Bible school, but I've never preached a sermon on it to adults. I've never been in a sermon where the preacher was talking about it with adults. Why don't we talk about the full armor of God with other adults? I think it's because we classify it, categorize it right there with Satan in the joke category. Because our, our memories of it, if you grew up in church like I did, you, you remember like your, your aunt or your second cousin, who in my case was the same person because I'm from East Texas. It was, they, they, dressed up, they dressed up in the full armor of God and they walked out and all the kids came and like played with them and stuff. And like like it's, in the, it's in the cute caricature category of our biblical understanding. Please hear me when I tell you that the Apostle Paul wrote what I'm about to read to you with a straight face. It was serious business. It was already claiming lives, this war. 
And I think he wrote it not for kids, but for adults like us. So we should read it as such. We should take it seriously. Ephesians 6, uh, verses 10 through 14. Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your uh, stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's our struggle. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. The belt of truth. As the series progresses, we'll explore the rest of the full armor of God today. Is just the belt of what? Truth. truth. Telling the truth is, seems to be a very simple thing. The Bible says telling the truth is one of your greatest spiritual weapons against the forces of darkness. Simply learning to be a truth teller is like shining a light in dark places. A month ago, if you're on social media, you noticed uh, how a, a hashtag just took over the whole internet. Started with one woman telling of her story of being sexually harassed and assaulted in a work environment. And then another woman said, hey, that's happened to me too. And she hashtagged me too. And then someone else did. And then someone else did. And before uh, even a few days passed, there were millions, literally millions of women Post, and some men too, but mostly women, posting their stories, sharing their pain of the past of a time they were objectified by a man or they were abused or raped or assaulted or harassed in a workplace or at home or at church. Dozens of women from here at the story posted things and it just blew my mind because I was so naive, so blind to the realities that women were facing, are facing in our life today, man. And I know so many men were surprised by the number of Me Too posts. Very few women were surprised by the number of Me Too posts, but a lot of men were surprised at the, the depth, the gravity and the breadth of such a problem in our society and how many women and girls that we love, that we cherish, that we say we care about have to deal with this on a constant basis. So it was shocking to see. So it really broke my heart. It broke me down. It caused me and so many other men to really think, to think carefully about how we behave in positions of power, about how we look out for people who don't have power who might be getting stepped on or objectified in some really damaging ways. And so it really brought about this earth-shattering, watershed moment of change. And all it took was a little bit of truth-telling, just a little bit of truth-telling shed light on this historic darkness that had plagued our culture for so long. And listen, that's the kind of world I want my daughter to grow up in where a culture has no patience for such darkness, where a little bit of light is shed. And everyone suddenly is looking out for this problem. Everyone is looking out for each other a little bit more than we were before. That's the power of truth-telling. That's the world I want my daughter and my son to grow up in, where heinous evil is exposed and brought to light by truth-tellers. It takes courage. It's what I want my kids to learn. For now, for now, at the Huffman home, we're just working on being honest about brushing our teeth. 
That's where we're starting for now. My son comes by it, honestly, I'm afraid he gets it from somewhere. I'm afraid he gets it from me, this knack for telling half-truths for convenience sake. Now, I'd rather tell you all about all the bad things that I'm not. I'm not a thief, except when I steal pens from the bank, which I'm prone to do from time to time. If you're a bank teller, my apologies, but I got another one yesterday. But I'm not a thief. I'll maintain that. Not a heinous murderer, awful person. I'm not a Dodger fan or anything. <laughs> but am I a liar? Do I occasionally stretch the truth because I want people's validation or approval? Am I a liar with myself? Do I hold back with myself and say, to myself that I'm okay, that I'm doing fine when I'd rather not face the truth because of how exhausting or in, uh, inconvenient it can be to face the truth when we're not really all right. Of course. Because I, like you, am fighting an enemy who wants to keep us in the lies. And when we own the truth, though, man, when we own the truth that we're sinners, that we're vulnerable to attack, that we're susceptible to temptation, that we're, we've got some weaknesses, we've got some stuff in our past we're not proud of, we've got some prejudice in our past, we'd rather judge others that aren't like us than love them because of these weaknesses that we have. Man, when we're honest about that stuff, the, the enemy, Satan, the devil, he cannot stand it. There's some stuff about us that he can stand. He can stand you being here. He can stand you being in church. He can stand you saying the right things. He can stand you doing the right things. But he cannot handle the truth. And when you learn to tell the truth with yourself and with each other and with God, man, that is when things begin to change. Because you realize that all along it's not been your spouse that's your enemy. Your spouse isn't standing in your way. Your ex isn't your enemy. Your boss isn't your enemy. Your parents, the president, the government, not your enemy. This is a spiritual war that we are in. And we face a spiritual enemy. And he wants nothing more from you today than for you to walk away from this service going, wow, that place is not for me. That place is weird. That's, uh, I'm going to pray for that preacher because he's got something going on. I mean, he said he's a liar. You know, that's what he wants you to walk away from here saying is that the preacher at the store is a liar. That's all he wants you to take away. He doesn't want you to believe in him. Have you ever considered that your lack of belief in the darkness of the spiritual world had less to do with facts or experiential knowledge and more to do with that's exactly what he's been trying to get from you all along? It's like his perfect weapon. You, you not believing in him. He's cool if you don't believe in him. He's cool if you believe in God. If you don't believe in him, he likes it even more. Because he wants to make you his pawn. Don't be his pawn. Be a prophet. Tell the truth when it's inconvenient. Wake up tomorrow and be honest with yourself. Wake up tomorrow and say, I may have weaknesses, I may be susceptible, I may be tempted, but the Lord is with me and I am not afraid and the love of God cancels out all my fears and I will stand, I will stand and I will fight with the armor that God has given me. By his Holy Spirit, I will stand. Let's go to God in prayer. Lord, uh, thank you for opening our eyes to some new realities today. Help us to not be afraid, but to embrace our place 
in this battle you're fighting with us and within us. God, help us to stand strong as we face the battles ahead and to know our enemy and what he's been trying to do with us and how we've let him have his way with us to trust you in overcoming that enemy. We thank you, Jesus, for winning the war. Now, Lord, lead us through the aftermath. God, lead us down your path toward your freedom, your light, your joy. Thank you, God. May we shine a light in the darkness in Jesus' name. Amen.